This episode is a mic swap. It's a concept I came up with back in 2017 at the very start of Shareable. I thought, what if I shared the mic and let my guests become the host and I became the guest of my own show? This simple swap has allowed my guest hosts to take the conversation in unique and unexpected directions, producing some amazing one-of-a-kind conversations that I never could have planned. The concept is so good, in fact, that plenty of my podcaster friends have taken the idea for themselves. So, I hope you enjoy this episode of Mike Swap. I'm Aaron Burnett, and today we have Jeff Gibbard with us on Shareable. Jeff, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been a dream of mine ever since I was a little kid to be on Shareable. Well, fantastic. I'm glad we could make that dream come true. So let's start a little bit conventionally. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your story? Why are you here? What do you want us to know? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm all over uh, different podcasts in the web and everything. So people probably know a little bit about me here and there. But, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm an aspiring superhero. Um, I have ADHD. I'm on the autism spectrum. I have a gajillion and one projects that I'm working on at any given time. I don't remember even which ones I've ever talked about publicly, aside from I wrote a book called The Lovable Leader. Uh, I'm a host of several different podcasts. I have a podcast network called the Shareable Podcast Network at shareable.fm. Um, I have a very successful productivity consulting firm with my business partner, Sarah Hennison, a business called Super Productive. I have a whole fleet of other super companies that I'm planning or that are in some stage of launch, such as Super Automated, which does all automation-related stuff. Uh, I do a lot of things, and uh, I like a lot of things, and I like video games, and I like cooking, and I like basketball, and I love snowboarding. Uh, that's 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 a bunch. There you go. That's a start. That, that's fantastic. That's an excellent start. So given all of those passions, all of these interests, what brings you joy in life? Oh, man. Uh, so snowboarding brings me joy. Every every bit and part of snowboarding brings me joy. I love it so thoroughly. Cooking brings me immense joy. Um, and spending time, I'm going to say most of the time, I would say, spending time with my children uh, is absolute joy. There are definitely moments, and as of late, many of them, that have not been joyful because I have a toddler. Um, but I love her to death. Every moment that I spend with my wife is joy. Uh, she is just I don't even know how she exists. She's like an angel brought down to earth. Uh, and she just makes me a better person. She's my muse. Most of my content is inspired in some part by her. My entire book was inspired by her. She is just literally like the best thing that's ever happened to me. So she brings me immense joy. Um, and then I guess I would say finally, uh, accomplishment brings me joy. When I achieve things that I want to do, which is brought about by, you know, a, a persistent drive for autonomy, autonomy, um, so I pursue things that I'm interested in. And when I get to achieve those things and check things off my list and put things out into the world and make contribute a verse into the universe, uh, that brings me joy. I like to contribute. That's fantastic. I love that phrase, contribute a verse into the universe. Yeah, I get that from, um, it's from I believe it's from a Walt Whitman poem that I first heard about in Dead Poet Society uh, when, you know, in the midst of all of the carpe diem, um, one of the things is... Uh, Dr. Keating, uh, Robin Williams character is telling all the students like, you know, um, something about the the grand story of life or whatever, and you get to contribute a verse. I don't remember the whole thing, but I love the the idea of it, that there's this novel of the universe and we get this opportunity to contribute a verse. Yeah, I love that as well. You mentioned that your wife inspired your book. Mm -hmm. How did she inspire your book? So she is a lovable leader. The whole, the title is what, kicked off the entire outline. 
uh, that was inspired by a conversation with her. But the title of the book happened because we were just going through different parts of talking about management and leadership and the, the things that are difficult and managing different situations. And I was like, yeah, but like, you're always going to do this well because you're lovable. Like you're a lovable leader. That's it. That's the name of the outlet. That's the book. Get, get out my Evernote. We're going to outline it. So um, it, what occurred to me was that you know, I'm psychologically unemployable. Like I'm an entrepreneur through and through. Like I, I just cannot have a job, but I think I could probably work for someone like my wife. I don't know. I'm a bit biased about her, but like she's so genuinely kind and caring. Like she legitimately cares about every single person on her team. She legitimately is on a life mission to make sure no one feels alone. And that is like, she's the best of us. You know what I mean? So like when I thought about writing a book and I, as I wrote every page, she was always kind of there with me in spirit, helping me to think about, um, you know, what it means to be lovable. What is it that she embodies? How does she carry herself in the world? Because that's what inspires me to be a better person and a kinder person and more patient person. Cause I see how she is and how much she puts on her shoulders and how she still makes time for everyone and, and is genuinely caring to everyone. Yeah. That's inspiring. That's amazing. Yeah. She's were you, were you, I'm a big fan. Were you, <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I'm a big fan of my wife as well. It's yeah. a healthy thing. Yeah. It's a good thing. Um, were you different? Were you a different sort of leader? before uh, meeting, marrying, being exposed to your wife's leadership style? Um, I, I don't believe so. I think she just embodies it to such an extent that it gave me something to m kind of visualize it, I guess, as I was talking about it and writing about it. You know, I, I don't think that any of the ways that she aspires to be a leader uh, are necessarily foreign to me. Um, mm -hmm. I think she, she is far more patient than I am. She has a greater attention to detail and, you know, I'm a terrible manager. She's an amazing manager, but, um, she's also a great leader. So I think I'm a great leader. I'm an awful manager. She's both a great manager and a great leader. And, um, I think a lot of my book came from seeing how she did both sides of it. Cause my book is really geared towards new managers. Um, because I was really just assessing like what it takes to be people first in that new role. Um, as far as like what changed for me, I, I wouldn't say necessarily I changed as a leader. I mean, I, unless we're talking about maybe parenting or being a friend or being a, a husband. Um, yeah. I, I think her being exposed to her has made me um, more patient and understanding. You know, I can sometimes get a little hot about things. And mm -hmm. even though I aspire to always be understanding and to everyone and empathetic to everyone, I, I think She's the one that reminds me, um, you know, when my dog is whining and I'm like frazzled and like, you know, kind of spinning out of control because I'm trying to work on so many things and the kids need my attention, whatever. And she starts whining and I get upset. She's like, she's an older dog. Like she needs to go out, like, go ahead, take her out. And it like, it, it recenters me, you know? So I think, um, I think as a person, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, there's a bit of an edge taken off of me. She cools yeah. down the the heat that kind of smolders inside at times. Um, she just brings a level of understanding um, to my life, and I and I think that's really where the biggest impact has been. Yeah, that's she right. reminds me of the person I want to be. I guess is the way I would say it. 
How she'll send me my own blog post back to me. She, she does this all the time. It's, oh. it's, it, it's, infuri- <laughs> it's like simultaneously hilarious and infuriating. But so I've written at this point on my blog, like 1400 posts, right? So I have a body of work dating back to 2008. And I've written all these posts about being an entrepreneur, about being in sales, about being in marketing, about being a manager, about being a leader, about building a culture, all these different things. And there will be times where I'm like, I'm like in it because I'm annoyed about something or whatever. And I'll just like, I'll drop her off at work. And by the time I get back to my desk, bing, and there's just a link to the exact blog post where I'm talking about that thing and about being patient and about being kind at all. And I'm, mm-hmm, okay, I see you. I see what you're doing. Yeah, those reminders are really powerful. And they're particularly impactful if they come out of your own pen or your own mouth. Yeah, because you can't be mad at someone when they're sending you your own words back at you. It's like, all right, you're right. Yeah. I'm right, I'm right that you're yeah. right. My daughters do that for me. My daughters are uh, 14 and 18. Oh, right. And they remember most things that I've said and, and they're ready to parrot them back to me and remind me that I'm off track based on the advice that I've given them. I know that's coming for me. My daughter's three and my son's six months. Uh, so that's in, that's in my future. Yeah, it's a fun future. It's all fun. Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit about uh, your, your uh, personal makeup, kind of your psychological disposition, your experience professionally, what about that makes you uniquely capable and suited to deliver the message that you have to offer? I think each of us is uniquely situated to deliver our own perspective because we're the only ones that can, right? And I think Mm. the experiences that I've had combined with um, the circumstances I was born into combined with the unique makeup of my mind and things that I've gravitated towards and the choices I've made, all of that, I think, puts me in a really good position to be talking about the things that I do. So being someone with ADHD and on the autism spectrum, there are certain experiences that I've had feeling, um, I don't know how to phrase this properly, but feeling unsafe uh, in environments Mm. that I was not allowed to be the way I am, that if I showed up the way that I naturally am, that I was a problem or I was being difficult or I was a deviation from some norm and um, that I didn't want to cause trouble or get in trouble or any of those sorts of things that I think it really informed a lot of what I think about when it comes to the concept of leadership in creating spaces that are safe for people, regardless of what their background is or what their circumstances. I believe very firmly in the idea that we all should have the freedom to be who we are. Uh, That doesn't necessarily mean you know, I don't want to take it to the nth degree of like, you know, freedom from consequences. Like if the person that you are happens to be a particularly horrible person, like you're going to, you're going to, you're going to catch the, uh, the, the, the consequences of that. But what I mean by it is uh, the freedom to self-express and identify as who we are and how we show up in the world. Um, I think I'm in a decent position to be able to talk about, at least from the experiences that I've had. And I can't speak for everyone, obviously, but I think from the experiences I've had, I think that the positions I take are well-informed by that experience. Um, so I, I think that's a big one as it relates to like the ADHD and autism piece. I think the other part is that, um, you know, I grew up in in a situation where my dad told me, he was a funeral director and he told me, find work that you love to do or, and you'll never work a day in your life uh, or you'll get stuck burying dead people. So that was my message that I received in my, right. you know, like five years old. So I spent my life just chasing passions. And I can, I am, and I grew up in the eighties, right? So like every, every parent was like, oh, you can do anything you're set your mind to, right? Like I grew up with that. And I I can offer a very sober 
explanation of what that looks like. Again, speaking as like a 42 year old white dude that grew up in the eighties and nineties, I can, I can offer what, what is good and bad about that advice. But I can mm -hmm. also tell you that in, at least in my experience, it has yielded the consequence of, I really love what I do now. I went through years of awfulness, and, but I love what I do now. And I made a lot of mistakes and I learned a lot from those mistakes. And I had a lot of years where I was not financially great at all, <laughs> to say it bluntly uh, or vaguely, I guess. Uh, and I, I couldn't be here where I, I, am, I make good money now. I have a good life. I uh, love what I do. That was only a consequence of these decisions that I made that partly were a, cer a result of the circumstances that I grew up in, the advice that I got as, as a five-year-old about chasing, finding something you love to do. So that's just what I kept doing. And um, and all of that came together to be this unique person that is me. So no one else could have written the book I wrote. No one else could do the podcast the way I do it. Nobody else could write my blog and my newsletter the way I do. Um, so I think in the same way, everybody has that same opportunity to be the only person who can tell their story. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you seem very confident in the value of the message that you're delivering and also, uh, your right to deliver the message. How have you, I can tend to self-censor. I can think of things that I might like to write, might like to post to some social network, but I can also think of five reasons why I shouldn't do that because someone else probably has posted something similar or maybe my perspective isn't unique. Um, is that something that you've struggled with or is that not a factor? And if you have struggled yeah. with it, how did you overcome it? And what signals told you, yeah, what I'm saying has value and I should continue? Yeah, I, so it's that's a really good question because I think um, people who follow me on it, across any number of different channels will develop a certain picture in their head of maybe what goes through my head or how I am and those sorts of things. Um, and I am very outspoken and I, I will throw opinions out there that are, um, occasionally will, it, it's sort of like kicking a hornet's nest. It, it does not always, uh, work out for me. Um, I also worry about sometimes posting something that's unoriginal or uninteresting or unexciting. Um, but I try to remind myself of a couple different things. So one, I know I'm going to screw up a lot when I try to do the right thing. I know that. And I think in order to do the right thing, that's price of admission. So if I'm speaking up about something that I see as an injustice in the world, uh, especially if it's something that I can't talk about from lived experience, I'm, I'm going to screw up all the time. Like if I look back at like three years ago, that's sort of stuff that like I thought that I was you know, uh, being a, a helpful activist in some way or another. I look back on it and it's cringe now and I'll probably do it again in three years. Right. But I think if, um, action with the right intent and a willingness to be wrong and improve from it beats being silent. So when it comes to whether it be leadership or doing my best to be an anti-racist white dude, like I'm going to get all of those wrong at some point. I'm going to say something stupid. I talk on my on podcasts all the time about leadership and and I ask tough questions here and there. And occasionally I'm going to say, I listen back to it and it sounds stupid and I think it's super cringe. But I think in general, I'd rather have tried and failed than not done anything. Um, so it's not so much, I think, that I have the confidence that what I'm saying is right all the time or that... I have the confidence that I'm necessarily even justified about speaking about something. I think that I'm more 
um, I'm more fearful about regretting the opportunities where I didn't stand up for what I believed in. And I think that's more what I'm motivated by. And if I look at my book, um, similar to conversations that you and I have had in other venues on other podcasts, um, it could sound naive to people building great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. Oh, how kumbaya that is. But I believe it. And I think there's a lot of people that hate they, where they work. And there's a lot of people writing leadership books and the people that work for them hate them and they hate where they work. And I think that's because we actually do want to enjoy what we do. We actually do right. want to have meaning and purpose in what we do. We're actually, believe it or not, human beings that are all unique and different and want love and acceptance and community and a good life and a chance to feel safe and secure. We all want those things to some extent, some more than others and, you know, in varying degrees. But I think that's why um, I feel comfortable saying a lot of these things because I generally don't comment on things that I don't strongly believe in. And I'm willing to be wrong even when, uh, when I put myself out there. I think that's fantastic. You mentioned you, you have this podcast, you have a network of podcasts, uh, you've done a lot of public speaking. Tell me about maybe the most surprising interview that you've ever done. Ooh, most surprising interview I've ever done. That's a curveball, man. I don't know. Um, I'll tell you first why I think that's a difficult question for me to answer. It's because I go into every single interview with absolutely no expectations. So that's the first thing. And I also go into every interview with the commitment to be just voraciously curious about the other person and their experience. When I've been surprised in any context, it's when someone shows up and they're not, they're not like into it or they're not like, mm. they're not like willing to be a part of something interesting. Like they're just there to go through the motions. Like that's surprising to me because I see these conversations as such an opportunity for co-learning. You know, like the, I, I've said this a bunch of times in the past, but I'll say it again. Podcasting is like, it's like a hack. I don't know how people don't recognize this. You can literally just get a microphone and a hosting account and you can invite brilliant people over to talk. Right. And like, they and will show up and they will yeah. talk to you and tell you their brilliance. Like, how is everyone not doing this? Like, literally, how are we not just spending all of our time sitting here talking to brilliant people? So I, I think when people neglect the opportunity to take advantage of an amazing conversation, it always shocks me. So that that's the first thing. Second thing is when people drop in some casual, like racism or discrimination in some things that they're saying. Like, I'm always... Mm. I'm always a little taken aback by that because I wonder to myself, like, did they not know it that that happened or do they not care? Or like, I don't, I don't understand when that happens uh, because to your point, like the self-centering part, right? I'm always looking back, especially someone with ADHD. I'm always looking back and being like, you dummy, why'd you say that? So I'm always right. looking back at the things that I've said and I'm always thinking like, could I have said it better? Could I, did I possibly offend someone unintentionally? How can I get better at my communication and more um, specific in the words that I choose so that what I'm trying to accomplish comes across and that I'm not harming anyone, right? I don't know how anybody just jumps on and drops some casual racism in a, in a podcast, but it's happened on a few occasions. So those I would say are the most surprising um, interviews. Maybe also the one where I forgot to hit record and I got all the way to the end and I, I lost one of the best podcast episodes I've ever had. Oh, no. 
There was that one. I've never oh, done it since yeah. then. It happened in 2015. <laughs> I, and I'll never yeah. forget it. I'll never forget it. I still remember it. Yeah. Why oh, I can cool. believe it. Yeah. yeah. All right. So this one may also be uh, tough to answer, but it's sort of the flip side. The most exciting conversation or, or a super exciting conversation. That uh, you've been able to have. God, that's so hard, man. Cause it's like, you can't just say one, right? I, I, because there's so many, there's, so, there's so I, at one point I tried to create like a best of, and I was like, yeah. it's impossible. It was like impossible. Um, if I well, had to pick how about out this, uh, no, I right, got so, one though. I'll give you one, but okay, give, me, give, me your, give me your condition. And then I'll give you the one I was going to yeah. give you. I was going to say, if, if you don't have the most exciting conversation, a person you got to talk with who you would never have imagined you've been able to, to speak with. So I had, a, I've, I've had conversations where like, I, I got it like a get, like someone where I was like, yo, how did this person agree to be on my show? But yeah. Um, but the, the one that I was going to give you that I think is like very, um, like, this is one where I was like, oh, wow, I can't believe this happened. Hold on one second. I'm sorry. Sorry, background noise in my house. This is recording at home. Um, Okay, so the one that was like big time, that like was unexpected. This was a surprising one. I'm going to kind of double up and give you this answer for the last one as well. So I had a guy on my show named Marco Ambrosio. Awesome, awesome, awesome podcast guest. And... Marco's brother is a guy named Pablo, Pablo Ambrosio. Um, so I got to him via his brother and Marco was an amazing guest. He was at um, live person for a while. It was like customer service thing. And his brother is like a former MMA fighter and now a personal trainer with like this amazing perspective on things. And I never would have gotten to him had I not talked to his brother. It was a very circuitous route. It wasn't like he applied to be on the show or like I sought him out or like we were connected through someone else I knew. Like I just met this guy, Marco. He was an amazing guest. And he's like, yo, you should talk to my brother. I think you're going to love him. And Pablo was one of the most, he was probably one of my top five episodes of all time. And it's partly because he dropped a nugget in the episode. Like the whole episode was about axioms. And he had these great stories about how he goes about personal training, which like, I don't know if you're like me, like I hate exercising. Like I despise it. I don't, like I'm not one of those people that like likes to exercise, but he gave me this story about this guy who was um, trying to get in shape and he was working out with him. And the guy kept like falling off and kept like, you know, eating when he wouldn't, shouldn't have been eating and like not showing up to the gym a couple times. And he, he asked him, right. he was like, you know, what's, what's your deal? What's going on? And the guy revealed that essentially like his grandfather had died or his father had died young or something like, or, or his grandfather had died young and that he was doing this because he really wanted to be a great grandfather. He wanted to be there for mm. like his kids, kids. Um, I, I, I'm not sure I'm getting all the details of the story right, but the point is what he started doing was with his clients, he would find out their, like their why, and he would develop it into this axiom. So when the guy would come in and he'd be working out and he would struggle with getting up the weights or making on time or eating right, he would say, Hey, just make sure I want you to be around for your grandkids. Like you're going to be a great grandfather. Right. So yeah. he would, he would tap into, so he, he misdirected or redirected his focus from being about the, the pain and torture of working out to being about what he really wanted. So that episode for a multitude of reasons is one of my favorite because I never would have somehow made Pablo's acquaintance had it not been through his brother. And I just, 
I didn't expect how amazing that episode would be. Um, because if, if somebody sent in a thing to me and they were like, oh, there's this personal trainer uh, who used to be an MMA fighter, I'd be like, oh, that sounds interesting. But like, it wouldn't have like, like knocked me out as like, a, oh, you got to talk to this guy. But after the episode, I was just like, this was one of my favorite episodes I ever had. Uh, and he was a huge comic book dude, too. So like we just like geeked out together. So it was really cool. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, Jeff, it's been a great conversation. I know time is uh, running a little bit short. Uh, but I really appreciated the time that I've had with you and the, the great answers and insights that you've given. Excellent day today. It's been a great uh, dialogue, and it's definitely been shareable. So tell me, what was most valuable or useful for you in this episode? Send me a message or hit me up on social media. I'm easy to find, but there's links in the show notes just to make it easy. Seriously, I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a couple things you could do, starting with subscribing to the show. And after that, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show five stars and leave a review. Consider sharing this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. Or just buy me a latte or an old-fashioned by hitting up that tip jar. If you're looking for a good book to read, may I suggest The Lovable Leader, which covers how to build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. It's built exclusively for brand new managers, and it's a handbook that will serve you well in your journey of leadership. Just search for Lovable Leader wherever books are sold online. And finally, if you're interested in working with me or checking out any of my other projects, go to jgibbard.com. That link, as well as every other link mentioned, will be found in the show notes. Stay safe, be kind, and seriously, share this episode with someone. I'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm.